0: Article 29 of the Belgian Confession of Faith. We're going to focus in on the closing portion of that article related to the marks of the Christian. But let's read Article 29 from the start, page 866 in the back of your Trinity Hymnals. It says We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully by the Word of God what is the true church. For all sects in the world today claim for themselves the name of the Church. We are not speaking here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed among the good in the Church and who nonetheless are not part of it, even though they are physically there. But we are speaking of, the distinguishing, of distinguishing the body and fellowship of the true Church from all sects that call themselves the Church. The true Church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The Church engages in the pure preaching of the Gospel. It makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It practices Church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure Word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, and holding Jesus Christ as the only head. By these marks, one can be assured of recognizing the true Church, and no one ought to be separated from it. As for those who are of the church, and this is where we're going to focus, for those who are of the church, so now we're speaking of you know marks here of real and true Christians. We can recognize them by distinguishing marks of Christians, namely by faith and by their fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness. Once they have received the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, they love the true God and their neighbors without turning to the right or left and they crucify the flesh and its works. Though great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their lives, appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of the Lord Jesus, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in Him. As for the false church, it assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the Word of God. It does not want to subject itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in his word. It rather adds to them or subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself on men more than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live lives, uh, holy lives, according to the word of God, and who rebuke it for its faults, greed, and idolatry. These two churches are are easy to recognize and thus to distinguish from each other. This is our Confession of Faith, useful summary teaching, and we'll see uh, some of these principles put to practice in 3 John. This is the third epistle of John, near, uh, nearly to the end of the scripture, 3 John, I have it on page oh dear, 1026. John, beginning at verse 1, it says, the elder, that's John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. far from God's holy word your congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ I'm sure you would agree that when you see something done right it makes a big difference right when you watch when you watch someone uh, you know carry out a job or when you can see a video of it online you know this this comes up pretty often right you know how do I how do I get a certain job done and just to see it done it's like oh you know like the, the one button I pushed Second, drive. I'm supposed to, you know, just one adjustment uh, to get a, a chainsaw starter. It makes, you know, waste uh, so much effort, uh, helps so much when you can see it, you know, see someone walk through step by step. But we've already been examining uh, the, the biblical vision for the church as we're walking through the Belgian Confession in these recent weeks. And the goal is to live... Uh, like a real and true church ought to live to, to ask how does God's word show that the church should live and then to do everything possible to stay close to the vision of the church that we see in the scripture. And uh, hopefully we will not settle, right? Settle for dysfunction. Settle for a diluted mission. Uh, you know, in our houses we don't say like, you know what, I want a, a dirty, and I want to, you know, we, we, don't, we don't say that, but we, we begin to settle for, uh, for things that we shouldn't, and so it is the church, you know, we don't say, like, oh, we're, we're not really interested in the gospel, or in the mission, or in the purity, or, we, we don't say that, but we do, we do let things fall into disarray um, unless we focus on God's word, unless we're careful uh, to obey and to put it to practice. So Article 29 begins the discussion of the marks that help us to discern and identify a true church from a false one. And we're talking, you know, about the fundamentals there. You can never perfectly, in, in this sinful world, you know, clear the church of any, you know, all hypo- hypocrisy and every sin and every trouble, but we're talking about the fundamentals. What does a church need to be? Lots of things can be taken away, but there are certain things that are essential things must happen. So a true church must preach the gospel in purity. And it must administer the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it must practice church discipline, which is practice uh, uh, the outright necessary obedience to what is preached. Uh, These are vital and necessary for a church body. Neglecting any of them is harmful at best, but Fatal at worst, destroying the church. To neglect them completely is, is destructive. To let them uh, coast or to let them uh, sort of roll to a stop is dangerous. It's not a good idea. Um, so harmful at best, fatal at worst uh, they, these these are not sideshow issues like what color will the carpet be? Should we have pews or chairs? Are we allowed to have banners? You know what kind of cup should the communion cup be? Should it be made of metal? Should it be made of the, you know pottery? Uh, you know all of those we 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 can answer in various ways, but these we can't live without. They're not side issues, but central to our to our living, to our identity as the Church of Jesus Christ. Not surprisingly this same article points to the marks that identify a true christian so yes there are hypocrites who who are physically present but they don't believe it they don't really want to do it but for whatever reason they find it expedient you know to be to be a part of a church we're not really talking about that any you know anyone can do that i can sit there and i can endure a sermon and i can sing a song and i can give some money or whatever but but that's not the heart of Christianity. So, yeah, there are, there are false teachers that plague the church, like we read in, in 2 John. And there are, there are hypocrites, like uh, you know, who John mentions here, Diotrephes, who, who likes to put himself first. There are hypocrites in the church. It's not Christ-like. Um, but, then, but then what should a real Christian be and do? Uh, so, you know, no surprise that, that we want to talk about the actual marks of the Christian. Uh, so the dangers and imbalances um, of, you know, putting ourselves first, of overemphasized individualism uh, in our day, um, you know, these are just as much a threat now as they ever were then. And the church, uh, while, while we have the threat of individualism, Nevertheless, we are individuals. We're, we're not denying that, but, but we have to live harmoniously, right, with our fellow believers, like a body is harmonious, you know, organically connected, and each filling their function. Uh, still, the individuals, they they need to have a healthy spiritual life. And body parts are different and they perform different functions, but they all have things that are in common you know, traits that every Christian needs, regardless. So paying attention to your personal walk with Christ is necessary, important, and valuable, uh, and it makes for a healthy whole. Uh, So the goal is, you know, to be individually strong and then uh, communally strong, you know, strong as a body. Uh, So both of these are needed. Underneath Christ the head And with faithful attention to the communal commitments of preaching and the sacraments and discipline, true Christians being joined with and properly nurtured in a true church are known by their Christ-centered faith and its good fruits. This would be more or less the theme that we're examining. True Christians being joined with and properly nurtured in a true church are known by their Christ-centered faith and its good fruits. A multitude of scriptures exhort Christians to live as imitators of Christ. Reflect him. Shine like him. Imitate his humility. Imitate his purity and holiness. Carry your cross after him. He is the master and you are the disciple. You know, he's the teacher and you learn from him. He's the shepherd. You follow him. Uh, you know, how many passages can we start to, to mark off? You know, how, how far can you go in any direction in the Bible before, even a step or two, before you start to say, this is what it's teaching everybody, and this is what I need to do as a result. You know, this is, this is how I would apply it to me. Um, we, we automatically go there because everyone is commanded, right, uh, with the same, you know, general commands, but then all of us have to put it to practice, Uh, that all Christians need to be truly Christian in everything, in all of our thinking and all of our actions. So the teachings on these matters are sort of beyond count. 3 John is just another good example of uh, of how, um, how we ought to be Christian in truth. And here you have some examples of, of how the people you know, should not imitate evil, but imitate good, and how uh, it, it's faithful for us to be hospitable. It's faithful for us uh, you know, to put the needs of others before ourselves and so on, like we're reading. Uh, these, these things are, they're everywhere in the scripture, but we want to examine some of them uh, the way that John has examined them. Uh, so instead, uh, you know, this letter in its plain reading has respect for everything that our confession is laying out so carefully, uh, along with a multitude of passages. So the Apostle John commends the, uh, this man in the church, Gaius, uh, and many believers with him who acted faithfully. Right, they, they were showing the obvious signs, the obvious mark of Christians. These believers were reportedly walking in the truth which they had received from the Apostles. And they were acting truly as his children in the faith. You know, so he had instructed them in the ways of the Lord, and in that way was to them a father of the faith, and they were, they were following those apostolic teachings as faithful children. And that's how Paul would speak sometimes, and that's how the apostles uh, might, might uh, describe their ministry, right, as as. The older to the younger, and in the case of the apostles, you know, sort of the, the fathers in the faith to some of these churches that are, that are rather like their children being born again in Christ, uh, according to their apostolic preaching. So he has this loving relation, uh, relationship with them. It's built on the truth of Christ, and he cared for them, you know, in a fatherly way, in a, in a pastoral way. Uh, so, as they have believed the witness of the apostles, then, then the family of God is real and true. And this is, he speaks of them, you know, my little children, right? He speaks of them as an elder and as a father in the faith. So, John is fond of using these expressions that follow what Christ taught, you know, the true family of God and the birth of many sons and daughters uh, into the family of God. So are these, you know, are these people abiding in the faith? Absolutely. John identifies them as plainly trusting in and practicing the truth of God. They walk in it, which is an act of faith. What is more, they, they are directly commended as faithful for helping fellow Christians who are passing through their region. Uh, and the book appears to suggest that missionaries or other traveling gospel preachers were passing through their area and they were getting help and support from Gaius and others with him. So, so they they recognized that it was doing the work of the gospel and they sacrificially served and helped and supported these people. So Gaius and these other Christians, they are doing just what he said in, uh, in 2 John, right? They are They are discerning, and while they're not to welcome false teachers, like we just read in our last service, they, they welcomed these legitimate gospel preachers and teachers who were coming to them. They, uh, they recognized, right, that true teaching and sound doctrine was needed when they saw real and true preachers of the gospel coming their way. It was not lost on them. They have ears to hear and eyes to, uh, you know, to see the truth of Christ and, and his legitimate message, so receiving these kingdom workers, Gaius and his fellow Christians are sacrificially serving and supporting that mission. And they have that they have that loving participation in the work of the kingdom. Their actions show that they know and promote the truth. Practically speaking, they're a safe place and a launching point for further gospel ministry in the ancient world as the gospel is going out. Now, if we could look at it from another angle, our confession says that true Christians love God and their neighbor without turning to the right or to the left. John commends them for walking in the truth, right? They they are abiding in the truth. He commends them for promoting God's work faithfully. He commends them for helping the brothers. That's very high praise. We, We want people to see us this way. They... They love God, and they love their, their, you know, their neighbor, their, especially their fellow believers, without swerving, without quitting, without falling asleep, without giving up. We want people to say about us and our witness, you know, they walk in the truth and they continue, and when, when, uh, when they can promote the, the work of the kingdom, when they can support it, when they can help, when they can participate, they do. This is, their, this is their lasting commitment. And I pray, right, that we, we will not quit because we're distracted, you know, by just like, well, you know, busy life and so on. You know, I pray that we would remain zealous. I pray that we would not quit because we're discouraged. You know, we, we do good and we get kicked in the teeth for it. We do good we get hated for it. We do good, we get bit for it. But this is often how it is in gospel ministry and in gospel service. The reward you know, is not from those we serve, it's from God. And in that way, if, you know, if we're beat up for doing the work of the gospel, if we suffer for it, if we're shamed for it, if we honor God and we get shamed, instead of quitting, we would have joy. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. And I pray that we could have that kind of mindset and that kind of encouragement, and gain then that kind of reputation. It's high praise to be known for going forward, 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 without swerving, even when we're rejected by others, or insulted by others, or dis, you know, discouraged uh, in a variety of ways uh, by their reaction. It's a Christ-like thing to reconcile and forgive and keep going, rather than to quit rather than to, you know, divide or or break up the body, but walking and continuing to walk in the truth, enduring in faith. That's the test we want to pass. That's the test that we pray God will sustain us in. And aren't they fulfilling what we read about true Christians in our confession? They constantly appeal to the blood, death, and obedience of our Lord Jesus, in whom we have forgiveness of sins, through faith in him. What a, you know, what a testimony. John writes by name um, about persons who claim to be Christian, but they do evil, right? Instead, it, it, just like, like many lay claim to the name church, uh, we, you know, we are the church, we are a church. Um, they, they lay claim to that with their mouths, but then We have to discern and sort out, well, do they actually preach the truth? Do they actually sign and seal the truth in the sacraments? Do they actually stick out their neck in discipline? And often the answer is no. We have to sort out if that claim is genuine. Just like that, there are many individuals who claim the name Christian, but they don't walk in the truth. And if you haven't met someone like this every single day, then you must not talk to people, right? Then you must be just, you know, in your office or whatever by yourself. But, anyway, but you meet so many people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm not against God. I just, yeah, you know, I just don't worship and I don't read the Bible and I don't pray. And I, but I'm a Christian, you know, more or less. Uh, and this is the claim of many. Uh, you know, a, a mighty throng are the people who claim Jesus with their mouth, but they do nothing about it. Uh, and what's worse, a man here named Diotrephes, he lived in such a way that he resisted the teaching and the authority of the Apostle John. And it says he even sort of ran people out who were sort of like, hold on, you know, John taught us, you know, the Apostle of Jesus, he taught us that we should do this. And, you know, this guy who puts himself first, you know, would drive out such people. Well, that's what we read in summary as well, right? The, when the church... Uh, is is sort of out for its own gain, and when a person is out to put themselves first, then they oppose and they even attack people who are genuine, uh, you know, about the things of the Lord. Well, so it is that we, we read here. Uh, according to John, um, rather than flee from sin and pursue righteousness, obvious marks of a Christian, this man... Love to put himself before others. So he rejected the apostle, he was brazen and proud, he spoke, according to John, wicked nonsense against him. It's a mark of our day that many individuals who claim to be Christian with their mouths, uh, they will not allow any authority over them, right? And this is, this is a mark of rebellion, not just against, you know, some church leader, but against God. Right? The apostle John, it doesn't, you know, like who who was the one that sent the apostle? Oh, yeah, it was Jesus himself who made the apostolic witness to be the foundation and who commissioned them to you know to go and preach to all nations and to you know carry forward this mission. The rejection is not of John, but it's of Jesus. And this is why John will insist on these things. Right when he comes and he'll bring it up and he'll make it plain, he says. Uh, So many are like this today and they excuse themselves like, you know, I just uh, I I don't have to have anyone tell me anything. No one tell me what to do. And for that reason, I won't join a church or really participate in one because, you know, no one's allowed to tell me anything. Um, You know, it's a mark of our day then that many are undisciplined and. Therefore, according to Hebrews, illegitimate children, right? Not a part of the family of God. Disrespectful with their words against authority, against church authority, against parents, against, you know, governing authorities. Um, and such talk is not Christlike. Such talk does not fit with the Christian faith. It wanders into sin. And uh, you know, for a person who would you know bring down a legitimate church leader to bring themselves up a notch, or to uh, you know undercut their parents or any authority to bring themselves up, God pays attention, right? And so, on the one hand, God promises great rewards to those who submit to the you know to authority properly, especially right in the law uh, to the authority of parents. Uh, he promises bring rewards with it, but he also has, you know, he has the curse prepared for those who are disobedient to their parents. And you know, in our generation, it's like, oh yeah, all well, you know, there's horrible sins. Oh man, you know, all the sexuality and all of the, uh, you know, homosexuality and gender stuff, and and all of the crazy stuff that's going on. But in the gospel and in the apostolic teaching, the the standard, you know, puts right next to those sins that we're like, oh, those are the bad ones. You know, we preach against, against the, you know, LGBT this and whatever. And, and then, but in the gospel, it's, it's those who are disobedient to their parents, those who, you know, those who cause division in the church. They're, they're put on par with each other, both rebellious, both of them provoking God's anger and God's curse. It's something for us to consider. That God is not impressed by such wicked and foolish talk. And many today follow Diotrephes on the very same pathway, even if they can't say the, the name Diotrephes. Uh, they, they, they still are on the path of Diotrephes. You know, you can, you can tell that to somebody. You're on the path of Diotrephes. You know, what? Uh, they're, they're on his pathway, a pathway of disrespect for authority. Uh, and God knows, he knows, and it's not the pathway to the truth. They're unwilling to be instructed or directed or led, to, be, to be led. Uh, they claim to be walking with Jesus when they're really proud and directing their lives in whatever fashion they choose. And that's, you know, that's the ugly side of individualism as opposed to the need for every Christian individually, head for head, To take holiness seriously, right? To take the gospel seriously. So, you know, you have those set next to each other. Every single individual Christian needs to be healthy in faith and hope and love, but individualism sours everything, right? It makes us proud, it makes us arrogant. So the true believer walks on that steady foundation. They, they stay close to Jesus in faith, hope, and love, and our confession points to those who with urgent and genuine faith, they fight daily the battles that it takes to remain faithful. They, they fight against their weaknesses. You know, I'm prone you know, to sin with my words or sin with my eyes or sin, you know, in any variety of I fight against those sins to honor Jesus and to live according to the Holy Spirit. While the sinful man, the hypocrite, doesn't fight at all. They plunge into the same sins as always. They, they're happy to put themselves first. Whereas the Christian struggles with the power and the help of the Spirit to say, No, I'm not going to be self-centered anymore. I'm not going to be self-interested only, even though I'm prone to that. I'm going to fight daily. Um, and, and this is part of the Christian life. I'm going to fight against apathy and laziness being lukewarm. I'm going to fight daily against, you know, the desire to, you know, eat up all my time in self-interest and entertainment, and I'm going to be a spiritual person, even though that's hard. Uh, So, um, you know, this, this proud man is not willing, you know, not willing to welcome God's laborers or support them, not hospitable, not willing to accept authority. And the wicked attitude makes him a tree without spiritual fruit, very unlike Gaius and others in the church who were walking fruitfully in the Lord. So he fails to do what he should do, and he even tries to stifle and stop others from doing what's right. And, uh, and the kicker is he puts them out of the church. Imagine, right? Not only will I not be fruitful, I will knock down as much of the fruits of others as I can and even cut them down out of the church if possible. This is you know, true hypocrisy and a true rebellion against God. Our confession says that it's a mark of the false church to persecute those who live holy lives according to the word of God. And so we would have to ask ourselves, you know, um, if the standard is just... Getting myself ahead, you know. Then yeah, we might we might attack anyone that gets in our way. But that's not what the church is meant to be. We're supposed to look to God's word and say, "What does Christ want from us? What does Christ want from me? What would, how would He have me deal with others in the church? And you know, and make the pattern of the church uh, the pattern of the Scripture. But here you have someone, you know, in Diotrephes who's consumed by hypocrisy. He wants to be religious, but for his own purposes, for his own ends. And isn't that funny that we would use even spirituality, we would use the Christian religion as the tool to advance myself, right? As the tool to prop up my pride. I would use spiritual things, I would use uh, religion to make myself something. He wants to be in church, but, but he wants the church to be focused on you know, meeting his needs only. And the Apostle John promises to expose him and directly confront his wicked actions. That is the practice of purity in preaching and in discipline, right? We, we preach... Uh, so that it's clear how we should act, and then we, by discipline, we expose where our lives are out of line with this, where the church is, where the church is going astray from this, or in, you know, members are going astray, and and this will shine light, you know, where there's shadow or darkness, and expose wicked actions. John will bring the truth uh, by way of this letter, and then when he visits them. Uh, In discipline, he will expose what's happening all the more and root it out. Notice well that it's no mercy, it's no kindness, and no help, right, to to be non-confrontational when sin is creeping into the church body, right? We can can be people who love discord, and who love an argument and so on. Okay, fine, that's, that's one kind of sin, but neither can we be people who say peace when there is no peace. And, oh, it's fine. You know, when it's like the water is, you know, water is leaking and the, you know, the, the power went out and the, you know, everything is, is you know, uh, starting to get, to, we're like, oh, it's fine. It's, you know, it's nothing. Don't worry. Uh, so being non-confrontational, as it were, avoiding conflict is not loving. In the church. It's not loving or a mark of our of our genuine love. All it does is steal, right? It steals love from Jesus, and true love for Jesus is obedience. All it does is steal love from him to make ourselves more comfortable. We won't confront sin because it makes us uncomfortable, not because of our great love for Jesus. Not because we're, we're doing what he's said to do, which is true and honorable love for him. So this man, Diotrephes, imagine if they took that attitude. Like, he's only out for himself, and he even, not only does he stop people from doing good, but he puts good people out of the church, and we just, you know, we won't, we don't want to say anything, because that would be rude. You know, we don't want to say anything, because that would be unloving. You know, then is John unloving? Does John hate the church? Right? Unchallenged, those attitudes would crush the church. They would destroy the church. And he would slowly remove the most fruitful members and make the church a dead and fruitless place. And what do you know? That's what many churches have become in our time. They've become sterile, they've become ineffective, they've become empty. And, you know, many people are, oh, I can't figure this out. You know, why, why are the pews empty? Why do people, you know, why are people, ex- there's a mass exodus from the church in our time. Is it really a wonder? Is it really a, a, like, oh, we can't figure this out? It's, it's pretty easy to figure out. We're unwilling, right? We're unwilling to put sin to death. We're unwilling to have the church be a place where Jesus is honored. No matter the cost. No matter uh, the, the discomfort. No matter the difficulty. And, you know, so, so I, don't, I don't think it's a wonder, but rather a matter for prayer, a matter for repentance, and a matter, uh, you know, for sober-mindedness. Uh, you know, how necessary that the Apostle expose these sins and take action. And who do we help if we presume to be so loving? Uh, you know, so uh, so understanding that we let sin flourish instead of rooting it out. Who you know? Who? How will that honor Jesus' name? John will not pretend that there's peace while the church is soured by a man like Diotrephes, and neither can we stand by when God's church is polluted with sort of bald-faced, you know, and naked sinful actions. So the mark of the Christian is to flee from sin and pursue righteousness. And John plainly teaches the same, you know, in verse 11. Don't imitate evil, but, but do good. You know, what, what is what we have learned from God, we have to put to practice. We can't reject good while claiming to be in fellowship with him. A good tree bears good fruit, Jesus taught. And so that good fruit growing in us, growing in the church... These are a gift of God through the power of the Spirit, and they give us great assurance. You know, this this fruit doesn't grow from the world. It grows from Christ and from His Spirit. And that will make us all the more bold, all the more joyful as God's people. We see the fruits of Christ and His Spirit growing in us and in others, and that makes for a healthy church body. So what John means here about good and evil is plain enough. You know, pride and place is an evil attitude that should be rooted out of our hearts. It should be corrected. It should be rebuked in the church. Disrespect and disobedience to the apostolic authority, that is, to the preaching of the gospel. It's plain teaching. That's an evil attitude and an action that should be rooted out of the church. We can't stand against the teaching of Christ and call ourselves christians in the christian church wicked talk and foolish talk like this man was doing should be rooted out of the church it does not have its source in christ harassing and stifling and even driving out those who act righteously must be resisted and rooted out of god's church and to as body We would need to govern ourselves according to the pure Word of God. Make it very clear, right? Those those actions are easy to see when we know the truth of the Word of God. They're easy to root out when we know the truth of the Word of God. We We would have to do admirably to measure ourselves by such a standard. We would have to examine ourselves regularly. Am I doing these things? Or am I tolerating these things in the church? Am I, you know, sort of turning a blind eye to it, you know, uh, to spare myself or to keep the peace within the church? We would have to, we would have to submit to authority and regularly curb our tendency, right, to be our own boss and our own master and our own authority, and no one can say anything to me. And if they do, I'll be especially mad and mean about it, or I'll be especially hurt and offended, um, and, and I'll make it a, a disaster and a drudgery to you know to make it clear to everyone. No one should you know if you approach me, do it at your own risk. You know if, if this is the attitude that we put out, uh, maybe we'll get the results that we wanted. You know, no one will ever tell me anything, and I can be you know uh, I can tantrum my way uh, through life. But the battle of the Christian life is that we would, we would beat down our pride, and we would put away wicked attitudes, and we would bite our tongue and bite our lips, you know, if we, if we were uh, resistant, you know, to criticism without actually asking ourselves, but is it true? Is it true? Did I trample over the Word of God? Did I do these things? And maybe I need to be instead repentant, right, and, and even thankful for the correction. Uh, This is the true battle of the Christian life. And the church is where these things are meant to happen. Out in the world, no one cares about this motivation. The world isn't our cheerleader. The world isn't our friend. The world will not understand or help if our determination is to grow in Christ. In the world, this, this is not the shared attitude or the shared spirit the spirit of the world is idolatry and dissipation and drunkenness and emptiness uh, and the curse. In the world, they have no interest in humility or in imitating Christ in his purity, in his self-control, in his, uh, in his goodness. Uh, this is the Christian walk, and the church is the place where we are putting it to practice, where we are meditating with one mind on these truths, where we're accountable to one another as one body, where all of us are constantly pointing and course-correcting. To Jesus, that's where we're going. And he's at the center of our preaching, of our sacraments, of our discipline, and he's at the center of the Christian life. Daily, I remember that I'm baptized into his name. Daily, I remember that I feed on him For for my soul's satisfaction, daily I remember that he loves me and he loves his body dearly. And I need to work for the good of all. And I belong to them and they belong to me and all of us together under the head Jesus Christ. God help us that we could live this way and that we could put these things to practice. That we could build them up and beautify them and order them uh, in, in a way that's even more fruitful. Than we ever were before. These are, you know, these are the questions uh, that we're asking and hoping to answer. How can we individually, as members of the body, become more mature, more fruitful, and how can the whole body together uh, shine as the true church, even the city on a hill or the lamp on a stand for the world to see? Heavenly Father, we pray that these things, uh, which require such wisdom, you would provide to us, provide us the wisdom to see what's best for our walk with you, provide us also the zeal and the energy and uh, the joy that is necessary to race for the kingdom and not to drag our feet and to strive for the kingdom and not to float along at our own pace. And to battle for the kingdom, not to be lazy or apathetic. Father, we pray that you would give us uh, great joy in serving Jesus, in following him closely, in putting his word to practice. Or we pray that far from being offended always uh, by your word and by your truth, uh, that we would revel in it so that if anyone brings to us our faults, we would repent quickly and humbly. And if we should bring, our, uh, bring attention to the faults of anyone, that we would do it with love and humility, looking for restoration, looking for good fruit. And in that way, Lord, we pray that we would have all the marks of real and true Christians who depend on Jesus for their everything, and that our church altogether would be uh, a a shining and a true witness in uh, a dark and uh, deceived world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.